Um, she's going to need. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Uh, while we're getting set up, you just talk among yourselves. You'll be good. So glad y'all came. Father, I ask that you would just direct our words and that more than anything, no matter what we say, the power of the Holy Spirit would flow to make change and transformation in our hearts, that you would restore relationships, restore marriages, restore friendships, restore family. We just pray, Lord, that everything would be guided by you. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, let me do just a, a, some quick administrative stuff, and then um, we're going to get into our, our um, discussion uh, for this afternoon. Uh, we've done this uh, maybe three, four times um, like what we're going to do, except what we're doing today is even different. It's even differenter. Um, because we added something to it, which we're, we're hoping it's going to work. Um, we do have some uh, resource materials for you out there on the tables, uh, which we would invite you to take a look at uh, after the meetings. Uh, how many of you have never been in a meeting with us before? You've never seen us before? Okay, wow. Nobody warned you, huh? I'm... Sorry. Um, we are doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're, we are primarily known for uh, physical and spiritual and emotional healing. Um, and, and this afternoon and tonight actually is more really about emotional. Uh, I don't know how much physical healing there's going to be, but it seems to kind of follow in our, in our meetings. Um, but that, that's kind of what, what we're more known for. Uh, we do have some resource materials out there, particularly on um, healing um, and deliverance. Uh, so there is um, uh, some CDs out there. We've dropped the prices on everything because we, we have some new messages coming. So everything that's out there on the table is stuff that we have spoken before and many people in your group have, have gotten the material before or, or have had access to it before. Some of you who are brand new, you may uh, just reap the benefits, the fact that we've dropped the price on the things, but I did bring uh, my book, and and a lot of the stuff that I deal with in my book, living the miraculous life, has to do with early on of our marriage being healed and dealing with the spirit of mammon. We're going to talk about marriage and relationships and and family and that that kind of stuff this afternoon, and then um, tonight we're thinking we're going to talk about uh, finances. So some of that stuff is really covered in the book, and actually, uh, as much as many people really enjoy the stories, because what what my book is really about is how um, a a left-brain analytical kind of person who uh, was not in the ministry got uh, saved, delivered, baptized in the Spirit, started moving in the power of God, first person I ever prayed for got healed, uh, and I didn't even believe in healing, um, and, and how I got literally sent on a rocket ship, and then when God dealt with our marriage and then dealt with the spirit of mammon, and we got down to absolutely nothing, that's when I met Randy Clark, who is a well-known healing evangelist, goes all over the world, great teacher. He was the guy that God used to start the um, uh, Toronto Blessing 
back in 1994. I got to travel with him, and Carol got to travel quite a bit toward the end of that. We traveled for a year and a half, and then we were released into our own ministry. So the book is literally what was happening in those early days of the renewal, and how did I get launched into this ministry that we've now been doing for about 14 years. So um, a, a lot of the book will deal with finances, the marriage, etc. So um, I, I thought I would just read one little excerpt. We were um, we went to Toronto uh, in January of 1996, and I've said in the book you have to be desperate to leave San Diego where we lived at the time and and now live back there again. You have to be desperate to leave San Diego January 1st when it's 72 degrees and go to Toronto when it was um, 20 below and they said it felt more like 40 below. And, and we knew we were in trouble when the newspaper headlines said, you know, brutal cold. It, it, it sounds like kind of what they're going through in the Northeast right now. Um, but Toronto was an incredible thing for us. And during that, we, we went for a week. God kept us there three weeks. Um, but I just kind of tell one of these stories. Now, up until Friday night, all the prayer we had gotten had been very gentle and sweet, filled with the love of the Father and anointed by the Spirit. But when Carol was standing on the line that night, um, a man on the ministry team came up to her, grabbed her hand, and said forcefully, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it freaked her out. (laughs) See, she didn't like any of the stuff with Toronto. She had been really against it because some people had gone to a Toronto-style event, came back with an attitude. If you're not shaking and baking, if you're not falling, if you're not laughing, you don't have what we have. And it really turned her and her leadership uh, that she was uh, with, it turned, just totally turned them off. So um, she was very wary of going to Toronto with all that weirdness. So it was actually quite loud and out of character with what we had been previously experiencing. And Carol's first thought was, nobody's going to push me over. In retrospect, I think he was just trying to hear from the Lord because he got quiet. And then he said very sweetly, Lord, restore the dream. We later learned that he's very anointed and hears clearly from the Lord. Back in 1981, before Carol was even baptized in the Spirit, one of her charismatic friends told her of a vision she had. And in the vision, she had seen Carol and me. Now, in 1981, I was unsaved. I didn't get saved until 1992, uh, now almost 21 years ago. Uh, In the vision saw Carol and me standing with our arms around each other, standing before a large crowd, and I was telling them about Jesus. Carol had held on to that dream for a long time, but when uh, I finally got saved, it felt like maybe it came true, and then we went through the marriage thing, and it all fell apart. Now he's saying, restore the dream, and she said it felt like a hurricane came and blew her off her feet. Could the dream be true? On Saturday, That was Friday night. On Saturday night, we put in our... Testimony, just in case they might want to know something about, you know, something had happened. And they, they had us come give our testimony, and there we were standing in front of about 800 to 1,000 people, arms around each other, and I was talking about Jesus and what he had done in our marriage. Yeah. So um, somebody who has not seen us before, who loves God's stories, and you have, you've got a God-sized dream, but you just don't know how it's ever going to come about. Does anybody fit that category? I saw your hand first. Way back here. Okay. I want to bless you and sew in to y'all. And I would encourage you, um, st- stop by the resource table uh, on the way out. One more thing. Um, we take teams to Colombia and Brazil every year. We have a trip coming up uh, to Fortaleza, Brazil, one of our favorite places uh, in April, and then we're going to uh, Cartagena, uh, Colombia in, in June. Did I, did I say April for Fortaleza? 
April for Fortaleza, June for Cartagena. If you would like to know about our trips, what we do is have you sign up, get an email from us when we have trips. And, and, and if, you know, if you can't go on a trip, we just take your name off the mailing list for that particular time until the next trip comes up, and so you will know about trips. Um, is any fun going on the trip? Is it? Okay, Mich- Michelle, yeah, is it worth it? Mark? Yeah. Adele? Is it worth it? Yeah. Brian and Donna getting ready to go again with us to Fortaleza and been with us a lot in around the world. Is any good? Any fun? Like maybe your daughter got totally her daughter went with us on the trip to Medellin in November. She's radically changed. So if you'd like to know about revival in a foreign culture, if you'd like to go and pray for more people than most people pray for in a lifetime. If you'd like to go participate in miracles, Brent and Suzanne can tell you about that. They've been on trips down there to Brazil as well. I would encourage you to sign up on the sheet. I've got it out there uh, on the resource table. Okay? okay. Here we are. Um, I've been looking forward to this because it, it's so personal for us and also been looking forward to it because we're not quite sure what all God's going to do. You know, we've been doing ministry together a long time and we've got some things really nailed down. Only God just pops out of the box all the time. This one we don't have nailed down as tight, and we have the feeling he's just waiting to burst out of the box. So I'm just telling you right now, buckle your seatbelts. We don't know what's going to happen. Our expectation is God is going to move. Beyond that, I can't describe it to you. I don't know. But you just got to figure if God's going to move, it's got to be good, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so you all saw the publicity for this event, and it's he said, she said, relational healing. I'm sure that gave each of you a clue that it probably has to do with male-female relationships more than anything, although anything we learn about relationships helps in any kind of relationship. But definitely the focus is going to be on men and women. And in case there's anyone who here who had not ever noticed before, we are very different from each other. Yeah. And it seems the differences only become more obvious. Bill and I are not experts on this subject at all. We are, um, I guess, experts on our lives and what God has done, and that's what we can share. Do you need us to put these down? Well, I was thinking I needed to put them down. We're sitting, oh, there, you just have to really press on it. I don't want it any lower. Okay. (laughs) Very different. We're so different. (laughs) I'm not kidding. We we go somewhere to minister, and Bill will get up, and it'll be a time when I'm going to be teaching, but Bill will get up first to do introductions and product and all that stuff. And so he sets it like this, and then he talks like this. I can't do that. I have to have it in front of me. I don't know. Somebody will analyze that and figure I need some more healing, but (laughs) (laughs) we're just so different. So as I was saying, we're not an expert at all in the area of relationships. We are kind of expert at this point in our relationship and what God has taught us through that. And maybe it would give you some encouragement to hear that we've been married now almost 44 years. Yeah. 
by the grace of God, <laughs> totally by the grace of God. So in those almost 44 years, we've learned a lot. We're not going to share it all with you, but we are going to share some of the highlights, some of the things that we've learned, some of the things that hopefully will be helpful to you as well. And this is actually a teaching that I do in the Sozo School is a springboard for what we're going to share. So you're going to, those of you who have gone through our Sozo training, you're going to hear some familiar things, but we're going to go a lot further with it than we go with it in the Sozo School. The teaching this comes from is called Being Needs, Being Met. And this teaching, um, biblical foundation for it is Acts 17, 26 through 28. And this is where Paul has gone uh, to Mars Hill. And he has noticed that the people in this area are very religious. They have shrines and temples and altars everywhere to every conceivable God, even including the unknown God, that they're going to cover all bases, make sure that no God can be offended, that they're in everybody's good graces. And Paul's looking for common ground to meet with these people, to be able to talk to them, share the gospel with them, and introduce them to the one true living God. And so he takes hold of some of uh, some, something that their poets have said. And so this is what he says to these philosophers of the day. God made from one every nation of men to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him. Yet he's not far from each one of us. For, and this is the quote, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your poets have said, and this is where he quotes their poets. That, sorry, that first one was from... Um, Psalms. This one is from their poets, so they're going to recognize this. As even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So he's saying to these philosophers of the day, there is a God. In him we live and move and have our being because even like your poets have said, we are his offspring. So that's where he's hoping to find common ground. Well, it didn't go so well. And so then in one of the letters you find him saying, okay, no longer do I go about with plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the power of God. But I'm really glad that he did have that experience because it gives me the scripture and this foundation for what we're going to teach, that we are human beings and our being is grounded in God. And God designed us as human beings with being needs we're familiar with our physical needs. We know we need water, we need food, we need shelter, we need, you know, there's just, we need sleep. There's various things that we need. We need air. If we don't have those things, we can't survive. We will die. And so, to the best of our ability, we get those needs met. We also have being needs. And those are legitimate needs, God-designed needs that we have. And if we don't get those needs met in legitimate ways, we will seek other ways to get them met because we're not going to survive without them. So I want to look today at those being needs and how we get them met and how God wants to meet them. Our, un, our being needs include unconditional love and acceptance. That's like the foundation. When that one's met, the, 
the rest of them began to fall in place, that unconditional love and acceptance. We have a being need of purpose. Like, why am I here? What, do I have any significance? Do I have something to contribute? Does it matter if I'm here or not? What's my purpose? We have a being need of worth. What is my value? Do I have value? Does anybody value me? Uh, number four, we have a being need for identity, to know who am I? What makes me different from you, different from anybody else? Who am I? And finally, a being need for security, that sense of safety and um, fullness of provision, that we have what we need to be able to exist in this world. Well, since the fall, people's being needs have been primarily met through the conditions of the curse. This was never God's original intention. His it was not his original plan for any human being. His original plan was that just as Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, talked with him, got those needs met through him, that that's how it would be for every human being. But he also warned them, if you eat of the fruit of this one particular tree, then it's going to bring separation between you and me, and that's going to be death for you. <clears throat> and so they eat of the forbidden tree, and now God is explaining to them the consequences of that. And I never have seen this as punishment. It's not like God's bringing them in the corner and scolding them and spanking them. He's, I'm sure there was deep sorrow that he was feeling as he was speaking to them and saying, because you ate of the tree... I want you to understand now this is how it's going to be for you. And so Genesis 3, 16 through 19, to the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. I just, I know that there's plenty of people in this room that have not done my sozo teaching. So I just have to stop and say something here. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. That's a consequence of the curse. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Front row's doing okay. Other rows. <laughs> okay, just enough said there. I, I can write a book on that and I probably will someday. But that was a condition, that was a consequence of the curse, not the original intention of God. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And he goes on to say, you're going to work really, really hard. You're going to get thorns and thistles. It's going to be hard. You're going to sweat. You're going to get a little out of the ground. Whereas you had this amazing garden that you lived in that just produced everything that you needed effortlessly it was available for you now because you listened to the voice of your wife and obeyed her. This is what's going to happen. Again, let me stop for just a second. He's not saying here, husbands, never listen to your wives. You know, this is probably more effective coming from a man, but this is not self-serving here. This is scripture here. He says, because you ate of this forbidden fruit, because you disobeyed what I said, this is the consequence for you. <clears throat> the truth is, as the Bible records it for us, God spoke to Adam and he said, 
don't eat of the fruit of this tree. It doesn't tell us that Eve was there. He spoke to Adam. And then it lets us know that Adam and Eve were standing there together when the serpent offers the forbidden fruit to Eve, and she takes it, and Adam doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, oh, wait a minute, I think I forgot to tell you, God said don't eat this. He doesn't say anything. And then she offers it to him. And he doesn't say, oh, sorry about you that you ate it, but I can't do this because God. he just takes and he eats it. So the, the reality here is God spoke first to Adam and he said, don't eat of this. And Adam didn't speak up when Eve was being tempted. And Adam didn't share the knowledge that God had given him. And so in that instance... It was wrong to listen to the voice of his wife because it was totally contradictory to what God had said. Okay, just needed to be sure we're all clear on that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just going to look at the front row. You all are safe. <laughs> so under the curse, women primarily get their being needs met through their family relationships, first through husband and then through their children. And under the curse, men primarily get that being need, their being needs met through, what would you say? That's it, in a word, through their work. So, <clears throat> unconditional love and acceptance. He said... I, I need this to be on. Um, is, is this one on? Um, that's why it's thumping like that? <laughs> Do I have it wrong... Do I have it not on? No, you can hear him. But No, you're hearing. There we go. There we go. Okay, so let me set it up again. So mm -hmm. unconditional love and acceptance. He said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, feel free to get up and dance. It's okay. <laughs> Ephesians 5, I think, really gives us a good picture of that being need for men and women. And for to the man, it says, cherish. To the woman, it says, oh, you want that? Cherish. No, just say. Oh, oh, I mean that or that? That. that. Yeah. <laughs> what the man is looking for is that you value my opinion that you don't put me down, that you're not condescending, that you sincerely praise, that you offer affirmation, that you value who I am and what I have to do and say. Yeah. And the woman is looking to be... Woman's looking to be cherished. You know, it's interesting. I've done this teaching around the world. And 
everywhere I do it, every country that I do it in, they're just nodding their heads in total agreement. This is not cultural. This is universal. All, all of what we're going to be saying today, it's not cultural. It's universal. Men have a deep need to be respected. Women have a deep need to be cherished, to feel like I'm the special one. You don't have eyes for anyone else. You just melted when you saw me and you've never been the same since and you're not looking anywhere else. You know, that, that feeling of being cherished, I mean, different women are going to experience that differently. They're going to be looking for some different things, but by and large, it means that he's making you feel special. He's making you feel like you really matter to him, like, like you light up his life. Like when he gets up in the morning, he's just so delighted that you're there to share the morning with him. When he goes to bed at night, he's just so glad that he's, that he's got you to hold on to. Um, that he looks into your eyes and he says, I love you. Really looks into your eyes, not just a casual running out the door, love you. I mean, that's nice too, but that can't be all. That he actually takes the time to just maybe sit across from you at the table, candlelight and soft music and no TV and just says, you're so precious to me. You know, Bill is, he's amazingly good at all of this. He's, he's like, you guys need to take some lessons from him. <laughs> you women need to send your husbands to him. <laughs> And I, it was the longest time before I really appreciated what he gives me. I, I didn't even realize how many women hunger for this. I had a counselor tell me at one point, do you have any idea how many women would want what he just so spontaneously, naturally gives you? Things like he'd come home from work at night and he'd say, how was your day? And he'd listen to how my day was. Or I was getting ready, we're going to go out somewhere. And, you know, I mean, women, we, you know, we do the stuff to get ready, to look good, to go out. And he'd look me up and down the way a guy can look at a woman. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and he still does this. And he says, you look really good. Or you look cute. Or you're hot. You know, that, that thing that just says to the woman, wow, I'm number one on his hit parade. We want to be cherished. And it took a while to get there. <laughs> it wasn't natural. It wasn't easy. Some of it you did from the get-go, and I didn't appreciate it enough because I was looking for things that were impossible to be gotten. Yeah. Just a little moment of truth there. Um, so that unconditional love and acceptance, it starts there. And it starts with little things. It starts with us women not putting them down, not embarrassing them, not, um, not disputing. You know, and I'm not saying that I think he's always right. Well, okay, sometimes I have a difference of opinion. But especially in public, just not even going there. Not hitting that place in a man that needs to be respected, to feel valued, to feel looked up to, to feel trusted. And for that woman, it's those, so often those little things. I mean, it's got to start with, 
He chose you, and he wants you above any other woman. But then there's demonstrations of it. There's, there's those little gifts, the look in the eye, the tender words, the time spent with you. Then secondly, purpose. Why are we here? He said, Turn this one way up. We want to be the superhero. We want to be the champion in her eyes. We want to be the one that beats the bad guys. We want to make things right. That's one of the things that gets us in trouble when the wife comes and says she has this problem and we immediately start to fix it because that's what we do. That's kind of our purpose. That's who we are. We fix problems. And we just want to be listened to and empathized with. The other problem in relationships is um, somebody sold us guys a bill of goods. <laughs> we thought that when we bought her a Mercedes, it was worth 10 points. And it's only one. <laughs> when we took her to Italy for vacation... It was 20 points, and it was only one. We keep thinking the value of what we bring adds up in points. So a Yugo is a half a point, and a Mercedes is 10 points. Now, to the wife, it's normally one point. And then when you add flowers, it's another point. And when you add candy and a romantic dinner, it gets up to five points, but it's like one point per item. And, and we guys don't get that. Take note, guys. That's an important thing to know because you're going to have unmet expectations if you're thinking you're getting 20 points for something and there's only one. So that, that thing of purpose, I think it's so evident in the games that little children play. So little boys, what game, what imaginary games do they play? Superhero kind of things, right? They're going around blowing up the bad people and just advancing the good. They're, they're Mighty Mouse here to save the day. Little girls, she said... And then after that, <laughs> little girls play house, don't they? Little girls play doll. Little girls get dressed up and put the tea towel on their head like the wedding veil. And they're looking for Mighty Mouse, but he's busy flying around, saving everybody. He doesn't want to march down the aisle and get married. She's got her little easy bake oven. She's, you know, she's, she's doing paper dolls and cutting out little clothes for her paper dolls to wear. She's got the little doll that the eyes close when she rocks it and it wets after she feeds it. And little boys just are not too interested in that kind of stuff, I've noticed. I remember in fourth grade, the little boys were sitting, like I was sitting in between two boys. And they were playing war. 
And they're, they're drawing all this stuff. And even though the teacher's up there talking, they're drawing. <laughs> you know, there's sound effects going off in the middle of the classroom with these little boys blowing things up. There's a story, apparently a true story, of a mother who, a modern-day mother, who was going to ensure that her son was able to get in touch with his soft side, be the nurturer as well as the go-save-the-world guy. And so she got him a little doll. She got him like a little Barbie doll kind of doll. And one day, the door to the kid's bedroom was closed. She heard strange noises coming out of it, and she thought, I better check, see what, see what they're up to. She goes in. Her son has the Barbie by the legs pointed at his little sister, and he's going, eh. Hey. <laughs> what can we say? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It, it's kind of how we are. Then worth. My worth. What, what am I worth? He said. It kind of comes down to what you do and what you're good at. I'm going to test you and see... If- if you're unoffended. <laughs> I wasn't born for digging deep holes. I'm not made for paving long roads. I ain't cut out to climb highline poles, but I'm pretty good drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not endorsing that, I'm just saying. You know, a man's got to see his limitations. <laughs> yeah, you know that from the movie, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of it has to do with what we do. That's how we get identity. It's how we get worth. Um, in this particular case, this guy can't dig ditches, but he's pretty good at drinking beer. I, I don't recommend that necessarily. Um, I used to be pretty good at it, and then I got to have a problem with it, so I, I'm not very good at it anymore. But, and that's good. And that's good. You know, the worth, it's many times, it's, it's based on, you know, your promotions, your income, your, your, your office. Do I have a corner office? Did I get uh, promoted up to the fifth floor off of the third floor because that's the better floor? You know, did, did, did I have a, a, a private secretary? Did I have this? Did I have the perks? Did I have these things? When those things start to come in, we start to see our, our value, our worth. A woman's worth? Well, she said. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are its It's funny, I've, I've used that same saying in so many countries, they all know it. I mean, I'm thinking I'm going to have, okay, this is American stuff, I'm going to have to explain it. They all go, oh yeah, we know that, we know that. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Folks, we're not talking about she saved up her pennies and went out and bought herself a diamond, are we? We're talking about He worked hard. He saved up his money. He sacrificed. He gave up something he wanted so that he could show her how much she was worth to him. Diamonds. Costly jewel. 
our girl's best friend. What will he spend on me? And you know, it's not just money, although I think for men, a lot of times that is how it feels. It's like the more money I spend, the more I'm showing how much I value her. And I'm not saying we don't appreciate nice things and nice gifts, because I think most of us do. But I don't want us to stop there. It's not just giving things that cost money. It's giving that time. It's giving that attention. It's turning off the TV so you could have a conversation. You know, it used to be that back in the day, not the good day, back in the day, that we'd be watching a show, and this was before there was, was TiVo or DVR or any of that, so you watched the show, and maybe there wasn't even a remote, so you weren't going to get up and turn off the commercial and turn to another channel. You just sat there and you watched the commercial. And so that would be the point at which we could talk a little bit. Then comes TiVo, DVR, and now there's not even the commercial break to talk. And by the time the show's over, it's time for bed, and you go to bed, and ladies, we got words stored up, don't we? <laughs> we need to talk. We, we want to share. And so for that man to give us that attention, for him to, to care what we want to talk about, not because he cares about what we're talking about, <laughs> but because he cares about us. No, I'm serious. We can talk about things that he's not really that interested in. But he's interested in, in us. And, and so he gives us that attention. And it communicates, I'm worth something to you. You give me your time. You give me your attention. You give to me. And that gives me value. And remember, guys, that diamond necklace, it's one point. <laughs> Together? Well, not I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Okay, and then finally, and by the way, remember, this is what it looks like under the consequences of the curse. This is universal, what it looks like under the consequences of the curse. The sad thing is that even when we get saved, a lot of times we're still living as if we were under the curse. So I'm wanting to just begin to expand our thinking and bring greater freedom to us because we don't want to live in that place. So the, the last uh, being need is a need for identity. Oh, sorry, not last. Number four, I can't count. Not good at math, really good at words. So the fourth one, identity. He said... I didn't get this one downloaded, so we're going to have to do it together. Get a job. That's what the guy, that's what he's known for. That's how he gets his identity, his worth, his security, everything. It's all about the job. So it's about, you know, what do I bring in? Who respects me? What do I do? Whether you're a ditch digger or a corporate executive, it's really about work. It's about that is that becomes your identity, who you are. Yeah. Identity, she said. You're nobody till somebody loves you. You're nobody till somebody cares. Okay, how many women here are wanting someone to just take you and start dancing you around the floor? <laughs> yeah. 
I saw it. Some of you just swaying. Don't turn it yet. No. No, don't turn it yet. Oh, I was just looking. So. Don't turn it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, but my stuff's I know, there. I know, I know. And I can't see it when you do that. <laughs> I know a woman, an older woman, whose husband passed away. And not shortly, I mean, not very long after that, she said to me, you know that song? You're nobody till somebody loves you. And I knew exactly what she meant. She felt like if there's not a man in my life who has chosen me above all other women, who loves me, who wants me, I'm nobody. Psychiatrists, or at least some of them, say that we get our sense of identity primarily from our fathers. And that makes sense to me. Think about little boys. What was it like as a little boy looking at your dad? What did oh. you think about yourself? Well, of course, you, you wonder, will I grow up to be as tall as him? Will I, will I look like him? Will I have you know, facial hair? Will I do this? Will I do that? What kind of job will I have? Will my dad be proud of me? Will he love me? Will he affirm me, et cetera? Will he come to my baseball games, my football games, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. For the little girl, she wants to be daddy's princess. She doesn't want daddy just to pat her on the head. She wants daddy to pick her up or put her on his feet and dance around the room with her and look at her and say, my little princess, you're just so beautiful. Daddy loves you so much. To get that affirmation that she's lovable, she's desirable, she's precious, she's a treasure. Um, let, let me add in here. You know, I, I went through an identity crisis um, myself, and I, I got to believe in these economic times that we've been through since, you know, 06, 07, right in there, as we had literally the meltdown. I got to believe there's lots of guys who have gone through an identity crisis as well. In my particular case, I was a commercial real estate agent. I was very successful, had all the trappings that the world said makes you successful. And uh, then I got saved and, and, and frankly, uh, seeing cancer healed and, and blind eyes open and things like that just became a little more important. Um, and so I, I left that business. I would gotten pretty much burned out anyway. And I left that business um, and was trading mutual funds on a computer for myself. So now I'm no longer going into an office. I'm no longer having my name up on a sign in a particular town um, you know, representing a building, representing an owner. Um, I, I no longer have to wear a coat and tie. Um, and then through a series of events, which some of which is dealt with in, in the book, um, I, I went through a period where I literally could not work any longer. I, I don't think God intended it to be that way. It's just that I didn't get the signals when I should have. And, and finally he said, okay, we're going to try a different way, but this one's going to hurt a little bit. And I really went through an identity crisis. Who, who am I? Because what I looked at for so long was I'm a real estate agent. I'm successful. I, I, I drive a fancy car. I drive a Mercedes. I, I have a big house. I own lots of property. I have money in the bank. And then all of that was, was going. Well, okay, at least I have the money. Well, then that started going. Well, at least I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And it just started I, – I, I was being brought down to um, – where it was just me and God. 
And that was the identity crisis that I went through. Who am I? And, and it took a long time to identify that, that it's not so much about who am I, but whose am I? And that's the identity crisis I went through. I got to believe in these day and times, there's lots of guys going through an identity crisis uh, as, as work becomes harder, different, unemployment, you know, losing houses, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah. That's good. You know, you get a few women together that have, are just meeting each other for the first time. Women, what do we talk about? What do we find out, first of all, from each other? It's like, okay, are you married? Do you have children? You know, what, who are you related to? That kind of thing. So Bill, back a long time ago, used to play tennis frequently and would go to a place where he could pick up tennis games. So he didn't know when he arrived who he was going to be playing with, and he'd end up playing with someone he didn't know. And he'd come home, and I'd say, so who'd you play with? So-and-so. And, well, so what'd you find out? Are they married? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know if they're married? I know where he works. You know where he works? I know what he does. So you don't know if he has any children either? No. I mean, just men and women, totally different. You get the women together, and we've got the whole family tree identified, probably in 15 minutes max. The guys have got the job down. I know what you do for a living. I'm not saying either one's good. I'm just saying that's the difference in the two. And then finally, <clears throat> that need for a sense of security. Everybody has that need very deep in us. How's that met? Well, he said... I can talk about mine. Money. I mean, it, it, you notice that there's a thread through all of these being needs. It, it has to do with identity and purpose and worth and what do you value and security, etc. Et um, for me, a lot of it was about money. Um, and, and, that, and for most guys, that's what it's, it's, it's what do you earn and what kind of a vacation can you take and what kind of a car do you drive and and what kind of investments do you have and those kinds of things. Um, it, it really came home for me uh, when I started realizing, I mean, I, I, I knew that scripture that says um, um, the, it's the, the lo- Lord owns the cattle. No, no, the love of money uh, is the root of all evil. Um, money is not evil. It's the love of money. There were times in... Oh, 1987, um, which was a long time ago when money was worth more. Um, when I used to sit in my office and I, maybe I didn't have an appointment or whatever and, and I would just start adding up, okay, I've got this amount in the bank and I've got this in IRAs and I've, I've, I own these buildings and I own a part, my partnership in a shopping center and et cetera. And, and if I cashed in all of that, if I sold all the real estate, if I sold my house, if I sold all the assets that I had, conservatively speaking, how much money would I have? And at, at that time, it was well over a million dollars, which was a lot of money in 1987, 1988. 
I look back at that now, and I'm seeing if that's not the 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 love of money, I don't know what is. It, it it's it's like keeping account, and and part of the problem too for us guys is it's not just about making the money, it's about keeping the money. So you get into that hoarding mentality. It's a wonder they don't have a show about that on TV. They have it about everything else. Um, it, it really becomes, can I make enough and then can I protect it? And will it be enough for the future? And there's no talk, there's no thought about trusting God. That was a long, hard journey for me. That sense of security, she said. There's a somebody I grew up eons ago. <laughs> well, maybe I haven't totally grown up, but I was, I was young eons ago. <clears throat> and I remember as a child when anyone would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? For me, my only answer ever was, I want to be a wife and mommy. Now, I know that's not true for all little girls. And I know that today it's a very different world. And I know that... Young women are getting married later than my generation did. They're developing a career track before they get married, by and large. Not all, but, you know, that's, that's really the trend these days. So I know it's a different world out there, and I don't want to be irrelevant. I don't want to be unmindful of the reality that exists. And yet I've got to tell you, the young women that I know, which is... Obviously not all young women, but the young women that I know, when they get really honest with me, they all say, I'm looking for the right guy. They might have very fulfilling careers, and they enjoy the work that they do, and they're appreciated for it, and they are able to be self-supporting. And yet there's a yearning inside to have a life partner Maybe not in the same way that I did because they now know they can support themselves. They now know that if that if something happened to that person, they could pick up and carry on. Whereas my generation, there was a lot less security about that. But there's, there's that deep down yearning for someone to spend life with, to share life with, to do life with. And I, again, I find that from country to country, from continent to continent. It's, it's in us. It goes way back, folks. It goes way back to when God said to Adam and Eve, because you have eaten of the fruit that I commanded you not to eat, this is the consequence. I'm not saying marriage is bad. I'm not saying work is bad. Those are important parts of our lives. But I'm saying when they're the driving force then we're really off course. We're going to miss the mark in a major way, and it's not going to go well. It, it's destined not to go well. You can see from what we've shared, he said, she said, 
that doing life under the curse, men and women are really at cross purposes. His focus, his passion, his dreams, it's all tied up in his work and therefore what that produces. For her, it's all tied up in him. <laughs> so when he's spending time at work and in his mind thinking, I'm providing well for her, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I need to be doing, she's thinking he loves his work more than he loves me. And it's not working very well. And then you add in the fact that we come with our brokenness into relationships and apart from the healing that God brings, then we're what John and Paula Sanford used to call designed to grind. <laughs> so my broken place is meeting his broken place, and it's... <laughs> and it's painful. And so my broken place was, and it started at the very beginning of my life, nobody wants me. And a huge insecurity that arose from that, that made it so easy for me to believe the lie of the enemy. You're not wanted, you don't have value, it's, not, it's probably, probably not okay for you to even exist. And the only way that you're going to survive is if you meet everyone else's needs. If you make sure they're happy, then you'll survive. Actually, Bill had the same wound and a very different response, which was designed to grind. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, basically, it, not that I agree necessarily, but... Um, With what? <laughs> oh, ha-ha. <laughs> uh, my way of responding was looking out for me. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to look out for me except me, so I better take care of me. So I looked at everything as, okay, if I'm satisfied, if I'm comfortable, if I'm okay, then everything else is okay, and I can make everything okay around me. Well, as you can see, before God started intervening in our lives and bringing healing to both of us, that would work in a very sick way. Because here I am to meet your needs, and here he is to have my needs met. But that can't go on forever. And, and I think as women, women, we are socialized, not just because of broken places in our past, but we're actually socialized to meet the needs of others. And, it, and I think there's something in us that wants to do that. It's just when, it, when it's not under the cross, then it becomes, really becomes a cross to bear, not in a godly way. And we eventually become bankrupt. You know, we have nothing left to give, and yet we're trying to give. And, and that's when we become resentful and bitter and angry. And when we start undermining and we start sniping and we start just cutting and, and belittling and you know, doing things that are damaging to this person that we love because we're giving out of an empty place. And I always thought for so long that if Bill would just get fixed, everything would be perfect. Not, not in the way that you get your dog and cat fixed. <laughs> <laughs> but if God would just come get him. And boy, was I in for a shock when God got him and that wasn't the reality. So what we want to do is just share our story. How many of you have not heard the story of what God did in our marriage? Okay, yeah. most of you. So for those of you who have heard it, you just get to chuckle along because you know how it goes. But it's just such a powerful testimony 
to who our God is, his unfailing love, his goodness, and his power to, to move in impossible situations and make things that were totally impossible come to pass. Yeah, and a lot of this story is in the um, CD out there, um, Created for Good Works, uh, which is also an encouragement uh, to then push past all of those things and move into an anointing, which Carol did. I'll just kind of give you the highlights and, and tell a little bit of our story and, and what God was able to do for us um, once we got to the end of ourselves. And, and then we, we want to, to pray over you uh, because that's really what happened to us. It was the power and the presence of God. Um, to, to kind of put it all in a nutshell, as we said, I was a very successful businessman. Um, I, I, I was in church uh, 13 years every single Sunday um, in a mainline church, totally unsaved and bound up in sexual sin, did not know anything about the Holy Spirit, did not, never heard about demons and Satan, didn't hear about the power of the Holy Spirit, didn't know you could get set free. Um, and it was a secret life that nobody knew about, particularly uh, uh, Carol. Um, then through a series of events, I get saved. Uh, I get baptized in the Spirit. The first person I prayed for uh, got healed. I just started like a rocket ship going after God. And um, we were soon thereafter no longer in the mainline church. We just really couldn't do that. We were going after God with all of our heart, seeing the power and the presence of God in 1992 with everything that was going to happen in Toronto in 1994. It was then happening in a mainline uh, uh, church that Carol was a, an associate pastor of. Um, but it, it, it became hard to be there, so we left that church. And after a period of time, it, it became very evident that I was going to need to be truthful with my secret life. And so I, I, I told Carol uh, in the, the end of uh, 94, 93, um, exactly what I had you know, been involved in all those years. And um, as you might imagine, that didn't do a lot for the marriage, um, especially when she came from a place of uh, nobody wants me, nobody cares what I have to say, um, I might as well not exist. And this only added you know, fuel to, to that fire. So it got to be really, really rough. And, of course, then we have the whole Toronto thing that happened in 94. And I'm now in another church because I don't agree with her and her leadership with what she's doing, which didn't help that either. And uh, she's uh, pretty unhappy with me. And basically our marriage all those years, about 25 years at that point, had been one of form but no substance. Um, it, it wasn't the, the loving, giving relationship. It was what the world would look at and say, that's a very successful marriage because I was a businessman, had all the trappings of success. Um, she was an associate pastor, had a, a master's of divinity, had been to seminary, had a good job. Our daughter was in private school, had her own horse. You know, all those things which said, yeah, they're living the good life. But meanwhile, there was just so much brokenness in both of us. Well, we just got further and further apart because I was in the vineyard, which was going after renewal, and, and she and her group wanted nothing to do with that. Um, but through a series of events, um, it became so painful to be together. We didn't mean to hurt one another. It's just, you know, saying good morning in the morning just was unbearable. And so finally, um, uh, November 1st, 1995, uh, she felt like she couldn't take anymore, so she moved out to live with a, a, a friend. 
Um, in the meantime, she had met somebody. Are you going to let me tell my part? Well, I was wondering if you were going to jump in. So well, I wasn't going to gonna interrupt. Oh, go right ahead. <laughs> okay, so when Bill told me you know, about his past, which wasn't ancient past, it was our marriage past, it felt like a kick in the stomach. Well, okay, like, kind of like I'm being stomped on in the stomach. And all I ever knew to do was put on the face that says everything's okay. And, you know, I said, I forgive you. And, and from my head, I meant that. And I didn't have any idea how wounded my heart was, not just from him, but, I mean, from my entire life, how wounded my heart was and, and what I was carrying inside my heart. And I would, I would just so love to be able to tell you that I was that Christian woman, because I was a Christian woman. Not only that, I was born again. I was filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, all that stuff. Seminary degree. Well, okay, maybe I had to overcome that part. But, but you know, I mean, just I would so love to be able to tell you, wow, I was that woman that just went to God and said, God, my heart is hurting. Help me. And I didn't. I didn't get my heart healed by him. I just lived with this horrible pain. And eventually someone came into my life. Now, it's not years because this was from 93 to 95. Someone came into my life that I looked up to that I thought was important who showed an interest in me and who made me feel like I must be special because I think you're special. So if you are paying attention to me, then maybe that makes me special. Maybe it makes me somebody. Maybe I'm lovable. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And so we had what you call an affair of the heart. And, you know, that's really no different than an affair other than physical things. But Jesus looks at the heart, right? And he said, it's, you know, if you lust in your heart, it's the same. And so I'm having this relationship where I feel like I'm getting legitimate emotional needs met. Only I'm not admitting to myself I'm getting them met illegitimately. It felt good to have someone pay this attention to me. And I didn't want to give that up. But like Bill said, well, actually this part he didn't say, I had a crisis of conscience and I woke up one Saturday morning and just I knew I had to tell him what's going on. And as you might imagine, that didn't help the marriage. He didn't go, oh, now I see, and everything's fine between us. I mean, that was hard. That was hurtful, and and it just got worse and worse. Until finally we got to the point where I said, I can't live here anymore. I've got to move out because it's just too painful. I wasn't doing it to spite him. There was a time when I thought I'm going to do this to spite him. But it wasn't that. It was about self-preservation. I just, I can't do this. It hurts too badly. So I moved out, moved into a friend's house. And at that time, God is, God is just so good and was so gracious to us. At that time, this man that I had this relationship with was actually halfway around the world for several weeks. And this was back in the day before um, email. There were faxes, and you could send faxes to people. Well, we were in counseling, and our counselor was trying to put on a good face and trying to encourage us that there's hope for your relationship, but, I mean, we're done. And we're thinking, because at this point, it's now um, 
coming up to the holidays, and we're thinking, just get through the holidays. Don't put the family through, because nobody in the family knew about this yet. Don't put the family through this during the holidays. Just get through them. First of the year, we'll let the family know. We'll, we'll just put this thing to rest. It, it's dead already. Let's bury it. That's what we're thinking. So we are in counseling, and a, one or two things happened there, and one of them I think is really important to say. Go ahead. My mother, well, my father had died in 94. And a year, a little, slightly over a year later, my mother was remarrying. And I really liked the man. And I was really glad for her. And it was really hard because I was still grieving my, the loss of my father. My father was my knight in shining armor. He was my hero. He was, like, as a child, I thought he knew everything, could do everything. He was perfect. And now he's gone. And there's a huge hole in my heart with that loss. And now my mother's getting married and she wants me to stand up in the service with her as her matron of honor. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do this, much less Bill and I are separated. And my mother has said, let's not let anybody know because, you know, that just would be a downer. <laughs> so being the compliant child that I was, okay, we're not telling anybody. And, and I've got to go to this wedding. And Bill has announced he doesn't want to go to the wedding. And we're separated. So I'm just thinking, okay, that's that. Well, the counselor says to me, what do you need from Bill at the wedding? And I'm thinking, what a ridiculous question. He's not coming. And I said, he said he doesn't want to come. And she looked at me like, okay, you're a little slow. Let me speak more clearly. What do you want from Bill at the wedding? And I looked at her like, didn't you hear what I said? He said he's not, he doesn't want to come. She did it again, and she kept pushing me until I just finally dissolved in tears. And she said, Carol, you don't get it. You are needless. In other words, you don't have a clue what your needs are, much less are you asking for them to be met. And she was pushing me to ask him for what I wanted from him, what I needed from him at that wedding. We're separated, and he said, I don't want to go. I'm thinking, case closed. But she pushes me, and finally I'm just able to kind of get out. I want you by my side every minute. She looks at Bill. Okay, I will. I didn't want to, but I did. I was stunned. Really? It can be that easy? You ask, in spite of the fact that he said he doesn't want to, and because I asked, he said, I will? Oh, my gosh. Has everybody here read Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? Mm -hmm. Okay, this is a really important thing. This is going to sound, to some of you women, it's going to sound stupid crazy. This is a key. Don't ask a guy, can you do something, when what you mean is, will you do something? Because when you ask, can you do something, the answer could be yes, and then you're expecting him to do it, but he hasn't said yes, he will. This is not a joke. This is reality. Ask him, will you do something? And ask it with the full knowledge that he might say, no, he won't. And you're going to accept that and continue loving him. But ask, will you do something, not can you do something? So I'm asking, will you go? And he says, yes, I'll go. And I'm starting to think, maybe. There's the tiniest glimmer of hope for our marriage. 
And as I'm thinking that, I'm also thinking, well, did you want to do the other thing or no? Yeah, you're talking about the getting Percentage. together. Oh, yeah. No? Well, yeah. The, the other thing that probably helped us in, in counseling, first of all, the, the thing that did help us was we were in counseling. Um, but, yeah, there was a question by the counselor. Uh, on a percentage basis, how satisfied are you with the marriage? My percentage was uh, 70%. Carol's was 20 <laughs> uh, That doesn't sound real good, does it? Um, and, I, and, and I'm thinking, what are you doing here? I mean, 20%, I'd be out of here. I mean, there's no, no way, but I didn't run at that point. I think that was part of the, the puzzle right there. It was. It was. That was huge. I mean, I realized, I, I mean, I said a hard thing when I said 20% because I always wanted to say what was going to make somebody happy, what they wanted to hear. I, I can't imagine that anybody's wanting to hear they're, that they're only providing 20% satisfaction in the marriage. But he didn't run away. About five more minutes. We'll see. Yeah. So we're in this state now where I've moved out. Our daughter, grown, married, I'm not married, but grown and self-supporting, living on her own, is in our face every time she sees us, mom and dad, mom and dad, this is not okay, mom and dad. You're supposed to be married, mom and dad. You need to be together, mom and dad. And mom and dad, it's Christmas and we're going to celebrate together. We're going to get together and decorate the Christmas tree, mom and dad. <clears throat> well, that didn't sound like fun to either one of us, but we couldn't say no to our daughter. So we agree to meet on a Friday night. We're going to decorate the Christmas tree in the condo that Bill and I had moved into a couple of years previously. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to have dinner, and then we're going to go to a play. <clears throat> so we're there to do the Christmas tree decorating, Bill's favorite activity. Right. I, 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 would put the, I would put the tree in the stand and put the lights on, and then Carol and, and our daughter Trish would do the rest of it. Well, we, since we had moved into the condo, I no longer had my tools, and the tree trunk was bigger than the tree stand. So I've got her kitchen serrated knife cutting. I'm in my tie and sh long sleeve shirt because we're going to a play afterwards, and I'm sweating and I'm not happy. Um, I, it's not my favorite thing to begin with, and I don't like that year or that part of the year um, and now I'm cutting at this tree and I'm sweating and, and uh, I, f I finally managed to get the tree into the stand and that's all we could do because we ran out of time. Well he was having a bad night and so was I because that day I knew that if there was going to be any chance at all for our relationship I had to end this other relationship and so I sent that guy a fax and I said I can't have any more contact whatsoever with you knowing he would honor that and he did. But I feel like I've thrown away my life's preserver. I feel like now I'm sinking. It's like, I'm not going to live. <laughs> How's this going to work? So I'm in a bad place. He's in a bad place. Our poor daughter's trying to make it a good place, and it's not really happening. We go to the play, which, by the way, was Les Miserables. <laughs> I know. After we come out from the play, our daughter gets in our face before we all get into our individual cars to leave. And she goes, Mom and Dad, we are not through decorating the Christmas tree. We're getting together to do that. So the first time we could do that was Friday night was Sunday afternoon. So we meet back together. Now, I'm in the Vineyard Church. We're full on into renewal. We're the Renewal Center of San Diego. 
We had just moved into a new facility the week before, and it was an incredible celebration. And after about two and a half hours of worship and, and ministry time, um, they brought a young woman to me in her 20s. Um, she had this dark cloud over her head. You've, you've seen people like that. I ended up ministering to her. She had been involved in sin. She, she, she had been away from God. She knew all of this was real, but she was just so far away from it all. Well, she just got gloriously delivered. And that Sunday morning, um, she came running into church, you know, just hugged me and said, this has been the best week I've had. I'm just so close to the Lord. Thank you, thank you for praying for me, etc. So in the tension of us getting together to decorate the tree now, I'm telling this story. And, and Carol is thinking... She's got a friend in her church group who lives with that dark cloud over her. And maybe she needs to get to my church. And she won't go to church without her, which meant she had to come to my church. The last place I wanted to be. So we get there Sunday night, and I'm pleasantly surprised. Worship is good. I, these people can worship. I'm amazed. <laughs> At the end of worship, because it's a renewal service, there's no message. We just go from worship into ministry. The pastor gets up. He says, anyone who just wants to receive more of God's love, come up. We'll lay hands on you, pray for you. And I turn to Bill and I say, want to go up? I mean, if, 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 you had told, if you had asked me an hour before, you know, you two are going to go get ministry and it's going to be a glorious time and you're really going to have a good time at this church meeting. Because I'm thinking, oh, great, she's invading my sanctuary. The only place I can get any kind of peace. But, you know, how do you say, no, you can't come to my church? If you had asked me an hour before, I would have said, no, that is not happening. We will just endure the church service and then go our separate ways. But I smiled and said, well, sure. And so we went to the pastor who we'd done a little bit of counseling with him. He knew our story and I didn't really trust him. But he takes us back into the back of the sanctuary, the room. It was actually a converted bar. But we go back into the back room, back of the room, and he starts to pray. And he just really gently lays his hand on me, which surprised me because I had experienced him being pretty heavy-handed, and I thought, nobody's pushing me down. Very gently has his hand on me, and then he prays, God, restore the dream. And whoosh, down I am on the floor. Now I'm one of them. <laughs> and the next thing I know, there's Bill right there almost on top of me. And our pastor said later, when he saw that, he said, I just went, I'm finished, and he left. <laughs> We get up. It was as if. Yeah. Whew. Sorry, he just hit me. <laughs> See, she's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say restore the dream. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. That was when we were in Toronto. Let her find her identity. Yes, it was, Lord, let her, let her find her identity in you. And that was when I went down. And I'm lying there thinking, Jehovah Sneaky strikes again. <laughs> because the Lord had been speaking to me for about two weeks prior and telling me, you are seeking to get legitimate needs met illegitimately, and it will never work. I am your source of love. I am your source of purpose. I made you for a purpose. I know what it is, and I can take you into it. I am your identity. It's not, like Bill said, it's not 
Who am I? It's whose am I? I'm his. I'm his daughter. I'm his beloved. I'm his favorite kid. It's okay. So are you. He's my security. He's everything for me. But I've been looking to this other man thinking, because you're paying attention to me, maybe I'm okay. Maybe, maybe I'll be secure. Maybe I'm loved. Maybe I'm this. Maybe I'm that. I have purpose. I have worth. And God's telling me, that'll never work. But it feels like it's working. So I, have, I really don't know what to do with what God's saying, much less it's information here. How do you get it down to the heart level? But when Gary prayed for us that night, and the power of God hit me, he did what no human being can ever do. He took that knowledge that I had up here, and he turned it into revelation here, the revelation of his love for me, the revelation of who I am as his beloved, the revelation that he will never leave me or forsake me. Such that, that deep hole in my heart that a counselor had once told me, it is so deep, no person can ever fill it, and it will frighten any man away, was so full. That, that hole was so filled up with the love of God that when I sat up, I looked at Bill, and it was like prior to that moment, I had been looking at him and at our life together through these Dark, dark glasses that were all cracked and smudged and everything was distorted and dark. And somewhere between falling down and sitting up, somebody took those glasses off of me and put a pair of glasses on that gave me better than 20-20 eyesight. My heart was so filled with God's love that I looked at this man and I thought, I love him. He's a good man. He's good to me. And just things just started coming into my mind of how good he had been to me and how great a husband he really was that I couldn't see before because my heart was so empty and hurting. And I said, we need to get back together. I'm moving in immediately. And we need to get to Toronto as soon as possible. We, I'm going to wrap this up kind of quickly, and then I think we need to do some ministry. We went to Toronto for a week. God kept us there three weeks. It just was glorious. We were prayer hogs. We got so much prayer. It was unbelievable. God just did a real strong work in, in our heart. And um, two things really came to, to pass. Back in uh, two weeks before we separated in uh, October of 95, I had gone to a healing conference and the guy who was speaking was speaking of physical healing, and he was telling the story, this sickness is not unto death. You know, you know the story of, of Lazarus. This sickness is not unto death. But I knew, I mean, just the Spirit was speaking to me. It was about my marriage. This sickness is not unto death. It's like I knew, and I held on to that prophetic word. And then when Carol left and, and we separated, I lost it. But I was sitting there one, one day, and I can remember it. I mean, it's as real as it's sitting here right now. I had my Bible open across my chest. I wasn't watching TV. I was just sitting there and thinking, you know, God, it's just you and me. 
It's just, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And he spoke as clearly as he could. He said, if you were to write a script of how you would want this to play out, you wouldn't write it this way because it would be too unbelievable. The script that I would have written was that Carol would have come to her senses. She would have seen that this move of God was real that she would leave the associate pastorate that she was doing with this group of people and she would come join me in the vineyard. And when we were up in Toronto, as God was dealing with us through those three weeks, that actually came to pass, but I didn't know it until we were on our way back home. God had been speaking to several people in her leadership, and when she walked in the doors, what we were figuring was, okay, we're going back to San Diego, we're, we're married now, we're committed, uh, that other relationship is gone, there's forgiveness in our hearts, there's love in our hearts, we'll do some cross-pollinating, I'll come to their group, she'll come to my group, and, and we'll just do cross-pollinating. Um, when she walked back into her group, Several of them walked up and said, God's been speaking to me, you're leaving. And she had already known it, but she was, she was unwilling to actually admit it, maybe to herself and certainly not to me. And so several days later, she preached her last message at that particular church and then came and joined me in the vineyard. Um, and, and the rest of the story is on that uh, CD out there created for good works. God did a work in our hearts that we could not have imagined. It was about the power and the presence of God that restored a relationship that was meant to be all along but got perverted by um, us not taking our rightful position as who we are in Christ and through allowing the world to dictate to us um, our brokenness. We have legitimate needs as human beings. We have a need for unconditional love and acceptance. We have a need for a sense of purpose, a sense of worth, a sense of identity, a sense of security. Those are legitimate. God's plan is that he would be the one to meet those needs in the deepest way. And when that happens, as men and women who are really different from one another, we come together not at cross purposes, not competing, but we come together completing, fulfilling God's design, His plan. And it is a supernatural thing. And it's available for everyone. It's what He wants for all of us that we have that intimate relationship with him, that we have that transforming encounter with him, that we get so filled with his love, his truth, that we are the people that he created us to be, that we do the things that he created us to do, that we have all that he's holding his hands out for us to have. As we've shared, my guess is some of you have been able to identify that even though you're spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, Holy Ghost-pursuing, Father-submitting Christian, there might be some ways that you've tried to get those legitimate needs met. 
apart from God. And first, before we do anything else, I want to give you an opportunity to just ask his forgiveness for that. To release those things to him that you've held on to, thinking that if I don't have this, I'm not going to be okay. Knowing that he's already said you are okay. More than okay. He says of you, you are very good. Created by him. Loved by him. So if you've recognized in any of those areas where you're still looking in the wrong places for the right things, you can just repeat after me. Jesus, I'm sorry. I ask your forgiveness. I'm sorry that I've looked for. And you just fill in the blank. Unconditional love and, and acceptance. Purpose. Worth. Identity. Security. Whatever it is for you, fill in the blank. I'm sorry that I looked for this. Any place other than in you. Forgive me. I release it to you. It can't satisfy. And even if it feels scary to let it go, I make that choice right now. And I declare, you are my unconditional lover. You have created me for a purpose. You give me amazing worth. You have valued me beyond my understanding. My identity comes from you. You call me your own, your son, your daughter. I am yours, and you are mine, and nothing can change that. And you make me secure. You meet my deepest needs. with great generosity. Sometimes even before I think to ask, you give. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that even as people have released these things to you, you take them and it's gone. It's gone. You forgive, you cleanse, you purify us. You get us ready to receive greater than we ever imagined would be possible for us. 
So Holy Spirit, open our hearts. We come ready. I want to go into a time of ministry. I want to invite um, Brent and Suzanne as well to come up and help us. You know, this church is really known for being all about the Father's love. Um, not an accident that Brent's book is, Daddy, You Really Love Me. Um, I just think we all need more. We need His love to change and transform our lives and to change and transform our hearts to take off those dark glasses that we would see things so much differently. I want to invite you to stand up. If you just feel like you need more, you don't have to participate in this if you don't wish, but if you just feel like you need more, I'm going to invite you to, to open up your hands. Open up your heart. And if you can't stand up, then just sit down. That's okay. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come in power right now. Holy Spirit, come in power in this room. Lord, there are broken relationships with family mother and daughter and husband and wife and mother and son and son and father and uncles and there's just broken relationships. I'm asking that you come and begin touching hearts and healing right now. Lord, there's hurtful, broken relationships between husband and wife. I'm asking that you touch and restore what you called into being originally. More, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, all over this room and begin touching your people. More, Lord. Increase. Increase your presence. Father, I ask that you begin to give couples the ability to see each other the way you see them, to see through your eyes, to see the preciousness, the worth, the value of that person. Father, I ask that where there's been disappointment, betrayal, where distrust has grown in the relationship, I ask that you bring healing, healing, healing. Holy Spirit, come even more. Father, I ask that you begin to, to pour out the grace to forgive where there has been betrayal, where wrong has been done, where there's been injustices, I ask that you release the grace to forgive. Some of you right now need to search your hearts. And if you discover that there's a place in your heart that you're still holding unforgiveness, now would be a really good time to release that. Just say to, him, to God, even as you have forgiven me, I forgive.
If there were a quiet um, CD um, with or without words, but just something quiet where we would go into some ministry time, I just want to invite you, those of you who would like hands laid on you, I want to invite you to come forward. Uh, I don't know what kind of a rush is going to be, so maybe not everybody at once. But if you if just kind of line up across the way here, and and can we have some some guys just be catchers, um, and we will make sure we pray for everybody. There is blessing in catchers. Those of you who are right up here on this front rows, we're going to go by and just lay hands on you. We just open up your hands and your hearts. And if you're a catcher, would you just kind of be behind them, follow us along, and um, touch them on the top of the shoulder and let them know you, somebody's there, and then just be a catcher. So, Lord, we just ask that as we go by and lay hands on these precious people, that you do for them what you did for us. We've got several couples that are known to the church here, and they're going to come by and help us pray. It's not like you're looking to us to give you anything. We're just representing the power and the presence of God and His love touching your heart. And we're releasing it. So, because this ministry is probably going to linger for a while, um, you know, others, you, you can leave whenever you want to, and the church will start at 6 o'clock tonight. And remember later, if you want to bless them with a love offering, you can do it so in these baskets uh, before you go. And again, the catchers is just, there's about four or f- couples right now that are praying. So if you are if you see someone in front of you even and we're praying for them, just kind of be ready just in case the Lord touches them and they start to, to fall back. Just gently lay them down, that's all. Okay? Thank you. And go ahead and turn me off.